Hello and welcome to Money Chill Out, the podcast to get inspired and feel good about your money. I'm Mike Afino, a woman in my 30s, ex-trader in the city of London, yoga teacher and owner of my financial empowerment business. On this podcast, I want to open up the discussion around money and investments and dive into personal finance management, which can be a great liberator, but also a huge stress factor in our lives. Every other week, I'll be joined by guests for conversations on money, mindsets, investment habits, and any best practices they abide by. So join me on this journey as we unpick the complexities of finance and get more comfortable talking about our money. You too can get financial peace of mind and it starts with empowerment and knowledge. Let's go. Hi, Frog. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah, super nice. I'm very happy to have you in this podcast. So thanks for your time. So I'll do a quick intro. And of course, if you want to add anything, like please feel free. So you are based in Chicago. You're a certified private wealth advisor and the founder of FMI Financial, which is a financial advisory and investment firm. And you help clients secure their financial futures and you serve those who face financial challenges, more specifically. And you're very sensitive to financial stress. And I think it's a great subject as it can really touch everybody. So let's dig into it. Sounds good. <laughs> so, so can you tell us how do you define first like financial stress and then why you're so interested in the subject? Sure. Yeah. So I would define financial stress as simply the, the fear or worry about money or finances. And as far as why financial stress, I think like you had, had just said, I think at, at least one point in our lives, we can all relate to having experienced financial stress. And, you know, in my experience, I find that a great deal of that stress really comes from a lack of planning. And that's really where I can help people. Mm, I see. So, so have you experienced it yourself, the financial stress? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've, uh, so a little bit about my upbringing. My parents separated when I was very young. I was about three years old and raised by a single mom who worked three or four part-time jobs to keep a roof over her head and, and give me everything that I needed. Some of the things that I wanted is what I'd like to say too. But she really demonstrated what it meant to work hard make sacrifices, but to also give back. Service was always very important to her. And even though I was a kid and I didn't necessarily have the day-to-day -day responsibility of carrying that stress that comes along with providing for a family, I saw it and I felt it through, you know, watching her go through her everyday life. On my father's side of the equation, I, I lost my father when I was 16 and um, he had no money, no estate plan. And uh, it left a very strong impression on me about money planning, but also legacies. And then growing up, so throughout high school, I worked during high school, I would wash lunch trays and set up tables for events to, to save on tuition. In college, I worked three jobs and took extra classes to graduate early with no debt. And even throughout my adult life, I've definitely experienced financial stress. I have three kids that comes along with plenty of financial stress. <laughs> and uh, starting your own business obviously entails some financial anxiety. But actually, just last year, my wife and I had our, our third child, 
my wife was almost paralyzed giving birth to my daughter, uh, to our daughter. And uh, it was a very scary wake up call and just perspective on time and life. And so now my wife is a stay at home mom with our children. And, you know, it's a it's a worthwhile change, but it obviously comes with a different kind of financial stress as you kind of navigate single household income, being self-employed and all those kind of things. But it's a it's a very welcome change. And I'm grateful to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. But thanks for sharing. It's uh, very powerful. So can you give us some numbers or even statistics about financial stress so that we fully realize its importance? So I know, for example, for myself, that nearly like a third of adults would work up at night at least once a month because of their finances, which is a crazy high number. So any others you have in mind? Yes. So and, and oddly enough, so to that point, statistically speaking, 68% of women and 58% of men lose sleep due to financial stress. Um, and I had a couple other statistics to share with you today as well, just in preparation for our conversation. So at least in the States, 73% of Americans rank financial stress as the number one stress in their life. And that stress, to your point, we touched on sleep, but it also impacts mental health, relationships, productivity at work. And so 76% of employees feel financially stressed to the point that they're spending three or more hours a week while they're at work thinking about money. 56% of Americans can't come up with $1,000 in the case of an emergency. 20% of Americans have nothing save for retirement. And then 30% of households earning at least $100,000 a year experience financial stress. So what I've seen through a lot of these statistics is there's obviously a correlation between income and financial stress. The lower your income, obviously, there is a greater likelihood and degree of financial stress. But even as you move up the income ladders, financial stress doesn't drop off as meaningfully as income grows which is a, it's a very eye-opening statistic to kind of watch in that trend. Yeah, 100%. It's really about mindset. And yeah, so, so can you tell us where exactly financial stress come from? And is it linked to major life transitions or it can happen just like this? Yeah, uh, so I really think at a fundamental level, financial stress comes from a feeling of not being in control. Right. And I think that's the same for a lot of stresses. But if, when it comes to finances, I think it comes down to really two things. One is building bad money habits and not being intentional with money. And I think a large part of that comes from watching other people and, you know, just kind of being influenced by other people's spending habits and such. And then the second is really just kind of being embarrassed almost to seek help and ask for advice. I think. For a lot of people, money is just not something you talk about. And that's whether it's with friends and family or just in general. And I think that's that's a huge issue. So I think that's the core and the baseline for why financial stress exists. But then to your point, going through life transitions, I think major life transitions, getting married, growing your family, getting divorced, starting a business. I think all of those events can increase the level of financial stress. But I wouldn't say that those life events are specifically the cause or the, you know, the underlying reason for just general financial stresses. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. And and what I like to go on now is like really the mindset, because as you said, some wealthy people get still stressed with their money. Of course, they won't worry about making the end meets, but they would worry about their kids or their future successes and, and this kind of thing. So, so do you have clients like this? 
Oh, definitely. So my client base is high income and or high net worth uh, individuals and families. So I see this all the time. And I actually on LinkedIn today, I just made a, a comment on another post today. 30% of households earning $250,000 or more are living paycheck to paycheck. And so one of my mantras, and this is regardless of who you are, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. I see plenty of people making $500,000, a million dollars a year, spending far too much, and they just get caught up in this cycle, right? Time goes by very fast, and before they know it, they're way behind on their financial goals, and they don't even know it yet. So that's for people who are you know, making good incomes, but they're spending at a very high rate as well. On the other side of the equation, so high net worth individuals and families, People think you don't have anything to worry about when you have you know, more than enough money for yourself. But I would say there's a different kind of stress that you have at that phase of the wealth spectrum. There's probably two primary challenges that high net worth people deal with at a general level. And I think the first is knowing that this money is going to be passed on to the next generation. How do you do so in a tax effective and efficient way? But also, how do you make it so that that wealth doesn't become a crutch for the next generation and almost make them so comfortable that they don't make their own way in life? So it's a different kind of stress, but it's still very much a stress for high net worth individuals and families. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's really hard to find the right balance between helping and giving back. And but as well, as you said, they need to be motivated in, in their own ways. So. Correct. Yeah. And I, if I can elaborate a little bit more on that, I think the main goal is you want to establish values. It's the stories and the the knowing of how you were able to generate this wealth. I think if those values and that mindset is passed down before the money becomes theirs, the habits and the appreciation, the respect for what it took to get that wealth, I think helps in in managing that wealth a little bit better. But sometimes, again, people don't talk about money and they're apprehensive to talk about money. And they also think it has to do with the balances and knowing how much is out there. That's not the story. The story needs to be about, you know, how did you start off? What did you do to get to this point? And then hopefully those values kind of carry through to the next generation as well. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a bit more about your clients? So when are they coming to see you? Is it when they know something's going to happen? Is it when they start to have an issue or really like when it seems out of control and that they really, really need your help? Yeah, it's all three. <laughs> um, <laughs> but mostly and unfortunately, it's it's usually the latter two. So usually at the start or already in the middle of a particular problem or issue. And it's not ideal for a, a couple of different reasons. The first and obvious one is probably the fact that they are already feeling a certain level of stress and anxiety at that point of the kind of decision-making process. But secondly, and, and more so on a practical level, you're giving yourself fewer and less optimal options, right? So when time is on your side, you give yourself the ability to take a step back, assess the landscape, and give yourself some flexibility and some optionality. And you can say, okay, if this happens, this is what I'm going to do. If this happens, this is what I'm going to do. And you kind of have a game plan before anything kind of happens. But when you're working against time, sometimes all you're left with is choosing the least bad option. And um, and that's obviously not a place that you want to operate from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Okay. And, and is one gender more affected by financial stress or, or maybe an age group as well? So I would say, and I don't have, I don't have any statistics on this specifically, but having been in wealth management and financial planning for, for almost 15 years now, from a personal experience, I would say that women tend to carry a greater degree of financial stress. Um, and I think, I think there's two reasons for that. One is women tend to associate money with security. And when women are proactively thinking about not just caring for themselves, but also caring for possibly aging parents, as well as maybe having children. So there's, there's kind of three generations that are constantly top of mind that women think about in you know, providing security to. And so I think by and large, that's probably the number one driver for why women feel financial stress to a greater degree. The second is kind of the nature of traditional partnerships or, or couples. Typically, you'll find that a, the man is more involved, more engaged in the finances. And if something happens to the man, the woman really doesn't have a really good handle on what's out there, what the strategy was, and how to kind of put all the pieces together. And so you go through a process of grief, but also the heightened level of stress because you're just unfamiliar with what's going on. So in those situations, I make it a key point of focus to make sure that women are getting involved in the conversations now, because at some point, you're, it's going to be your responsibility, right? Like I'd like to say, I can help them navigate the landscape, but at the end of the day, you're still driving. So you have to become comfortable with the financial picture before you're forced to being a part of the financial picture, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And, and especially, again, with the statistics, so I've learned, I don't know, a few months ago, that actually 86% of women will end up managing their finances by themselves because of divorce and because, yeah, women normally tend to live longer. So that's, again, a crazy start. Exactly. Yeah. So life expectancies are kind of a, a natural part of that statistic as well. You're 100% right. Yeah. So from a gender standpoint, I would say, generally speaking, women carry a greater degree of financial stress. And as far as age groups are concerned, I think every age group has or, or experiences financial stress. I just think the types of financial stresses are different. So, you know, as you go through life, you're growing a family, you have a family, you're changing jobs, you're planning for kids, you're planning for retirement, then you're in retirement. And even when you're in retirement, there are a lot of questions and unknowns. And so I would say there's there's financial stress, stresses across the age spectrum, but the types of stresses just are different. Mm -hmm. so, so what do your clients need most when they come to see you? <laughs> so, that's a good question. So I would say... I think people find that they need more than they think. You know, most people come to us with a particular issue, a particular pain point. But then as we get to know them and, and learn more about their situation, we find that there's a lot more that needs to be addressed. So we identify the opportunities, we prioritize them and proactively address them one by one. And so just slowly chipping away at any holes in the financial plan, if you will. As far as the main questions that we see. Our client demographic is typically mid-career, so like mid-40s, late-40s, all the way through basically end of life. And I would say for the mid-career uh, stage, the number one question, generally speaking, is 
is our money working for us in the best way possible towards our goals, right? So you have retirement, you have education plans, possibly, like I said before, aging parents. Are we making the most of what we have to reach those goals sooner rather than later and giving us optionality? And then I think for retirees, the most common question is, you know, I, I have saved this money and been disciplined in saving and investing for decades, but I don't know what this money actually means for me. Can I retire? And if not, what do I need to do to get there? And, um, you know, so somebody with a million dollars might have more than enough to retire. Uh, depending on how much you spend, though, that million dollars might not go very far. So, you know, there's there's not a ton of practical takeaways from a certain dollar amount, right? So it's, okay, I have this money, but what does it actually buy me is generally the question for people nearing retirement. Super clear and interesting as well, because I guess we'll all one day ask ourselves this question. So so let's talk about like specific either life events or just like life in general. And the first one that comes to my mind is living beyond our means, and which means having a huge level of debt that definitely piles up. It's often on credit cards. The the rate is eye-watering high and it makes everything very unsustainable. So how can we try avoid to avoid going there? So great question. And you're right. I think generally speaking, we have, we all as humans have a, this propensity to, to spend a lot more than we bring in. And I think, I think a large part of this starts with being intentional with our spending and having a system to monitor it. I like to tell people that if you don't know where your money is going, then you can't find easy and painless ways to save. And so while you know my clients who, yes, granted, they spend a lot of money, they don't necessarily carry credit card debt. The problem with credit cards is twofold. Number one, to your point, if you are carrying a balance, the interest rates are staggeringly high, 20 to 30%. But cards and shopping online just make it so convenient and easy to spend money that you don't even feel like you're doing it. So what I typically find is it's not the big ticket items that are throwing off people's budget in a typical month. It's not their rent or their mortgage payment. It's not the car payment or even clothes in a lot of cases. It's the very seemingly small but frequent transactions. So $10 here, $50 there, $25 here. That just compounds and builds up to be a staggering amount at the end of the month that really throws them off. And so I, I call that kind of a death by a thousand paper cuts. Right. So it's it's this you, you don't feel it, but you're slowly just bleeding money. And um, but if you're not monitoring it at the end of every month or every other month, whatever your system is, then you can't hold yourself accountable and say, oh, wow, I spent all this money and I don't even have anything to show for it, which is what we find very often people saying, yeah, I don't even know where it went. Right. And that's that's the problem. If it's not being spent on things that are important, you have to reevaluate and reassess how you're spending your money. Mm hmm. Yeah. So knowing your numbers and knowing what exactly your values are and address your spending towards them. Mm. Yep. Align your spending with your goals. Exactly. Yeah. And so let's talk now about starting a family. So especially in the US where childcare cost is super expensive, um, I guess it can create a lot of stress because you have dependence now. And sometimes as well, you can feel kind of stuck because you still need to pay your bills you and you have less flexibility. So what's your advice for either new parents or parents or, or future parents? Sure. As a father of three, as I mentioned before, I can, I can definitely speak to this on a personal level. And um, look, it is, 
parenthood is a very exciting and rewarding and fulfilling time of your life. There's no question about that. It definitely brings a different kind and level of stress though. So my first piece of advice is just like when you sit down with your partner and plan when you think you're ready to start a family and maybe how many additions you'd like to have at some point, you should also start thinking about a plan financially for that phase of your life. If entering that phase of your life requires readjusting your spending, doing that before you have kids and growing your family goes a long way in preparing for that new stage of life. You don't want to grow your family and then have the sudden shock of needing to make big changes to your spending habits, right? So you'd like to do that before you enter the next phase of your life. Mm-hmm. And I think the other part of it is, you know, having kids impacts existing expenses. So you have You're going to have different health insurance costs, likely, by having a family. Food expenses are going to go up. Clothing, all those things are going to go up. But you're also going to have new expenses. You're going to have daycare in a lot of cases. Maybe it's tuition for school. And also the common desire of saving for future education, right? So higher education is a big thing that a lot of families want to plan for. Those are big changes to cash flows that you need to account for. And when it comes to higher education, college, and again, I practice what I preach here, having, having three of my own. <laughs> I know the feeling of wanting to do everything you possibly can for your kids. And it seems selfish to worry about yourself, but I see far too many people prioritizing saving for further education over retirement. And I don't recommend that. We get one shot at providing ourselves with financial security. And if we don't make that count, we're going to be relying on our kids potentially at some point to take care of us. I know I don't want that. Kids don't want that. In order for you to take care of others, you need to take care of yourself. And so make sure that your retirement foundation is rock solid before you start saving aggressively for those further education goals. Mm -hmm. I like it. I, I never thought about it that way, but actually makes total sense. Yeah. And let's go to divorce now, because you said women tend to be more financially insecure. And as you said as well, women in the long term, they don't really make financial decisions. So they end up having to do it all by themselves at the probably the worst time in life. So do you have any advice again? And, and maybe it starts with the meetings you have with your clients involving the partners. Yes. So to your point. A large part, any couple that I work with, I make sure that both people are equally engaged in the discussions because money is a team sport. You're either both working you know, in tandem towards the common goals or you're unintentionally not working towards those common goals. So yes, I think it starts with, by bringing both people together and being on the same page. But you know, in the case of divorce, let's say I'm entering a, a situation where it's a, it's a woman coming to me because she's going through a divorce Typically, women going through a divorce want to build out their own team of advisory councils. So they want their own financial advisor, their own estate planner, their own tax professional. And so they're usually finding new professionals to build out their advisory team. And in that setting, because there's a lack of clarity on the division of assets or child support or maintenance or all of the above, there's a lot of unknowns as they go through that divorce process. And so women can feel a great deal of stress about not just their near-term security, but the long-term security. 
And so when you're building out your team of professionals, you know, I think it's important to have your own professionals, but it takes time to find those professionals. And it also, there's also a different level of stress in finding those right relationships, right? You almost feel angst and and stress and making sure that you find them right away, but you might not find the right relationships right away. So yeah, I think there's just a lot of general uncertainty when it comes to women going through a divorce. And the most important thing I think that I can do is say, let's plan for a worst case scenario. You think you're going to get A, B, and C at the end of this divorce process. Let's plan for the worst, come up with a game plan that gives you security in the near term based on that. And if the division of assets comes through better or the child support maintenance comes through better, then you're even in a better position. Um, And then whether you're going through a divorce or anything else, that financial plan, that game plan needs to evolve as your life evolves. So you start off with, you know, a plan here, but your life is going to continue to change and the plan needs to change with it. So, yeah, it's it's not a a set it and forget it type of conversation. It it constantly needs to be reevaluated. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that you look at the worst case scenario, because even though you don't want to be pessimistic or anything, it's just like being realistic, maybe. And, and it's always easier to have a better deal. And, and actually, things work out better than being on the yeah. other side. <laughs> yes, I always like to say that I want the surprises to be good surprises and not the bad surprises. Right. And so if you're operating from that standpoint, you put yourself in a position where it's going to be a positive change and not a negative change. Mm-hmm. Love it. So now imagine we have a plan and sometimes people do, but still it's hard to plan for the unplanned, right? So do you have any best practices or things that you absolutely need to avoid doing? Yes. Well, and, and, and so here, let me start by the unplanned and planned pieces. So there is no way to know what life is going to throw at you or when. But there are plenty of known risks that you can plan for. And what I find more often than not is people are just kind of going through life and not necessarily coming up with a plan for those things that are known. So 28% of people have a formal financial plan. And all of those people have a greater degree of confidence in their finances to different degrees. So as far as best practices, there's a lot of piece of, of advice that I can probably give on this, but I think having a budget or a spending plan, whatever term you want to use for it, I think it's it's vastly underappreciated. It seems too simple to be so vital in your financial life, but we talked about the importance of just knowing how much you spend and where it's going. But if, if you don't know how much you spend, you don't know how much cash you should have on hand for emergency savings. You don't know how much life or disability insurance you should have in the case of an untimely loss of income. And you also don't know what your retirement savings is, target is. In retirement, we're not replacing income, we're replacing spending. So if somebody makes $500,000 a year, you're not spending $500,000 a year, right? So if you're only spending 100,000, that's what drives your retirement. That's what we're replacing. But if we don't know what we're spending, we don't know those targets. I would also say that time is your most valuable asset. We talked about this a little bit from just a a planning and optionality standpoint, but also as far as having your money work for you, it's not about how much money you're putting into the market and into your investments as much as how much time you're putting into those investments. The power of compounding is very real and it it sounds like you can relate to that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, most people want to grow wealth, but they forget about protecting it. 
And so that comes through in insurance and estate planning. Far too often, I see people with very expensive life insurance policies that don't make sense. It's either way too much coverage or it's the wrong structure. So they're in these very expensive kind of permanent types of life insurance policies. And I'd say the vast majority of the time, it's it's not needed. Um, at least that structure isn't needed. And then if I can end it on on this note, and I find myself saying this a lot lately, in every decision we make, whether it's financial or otherwise, there are risks and there are opportunities. If we're only focused on the risks, you're never going to experience the opportunities. So yes, we need to manage the risks. We need to have a game plan for those risks. And we need to be prudent in the risks that we take. But we can't just avoid taking risks. That's not going to get you where you want to be, both professionally in relationships and any other aspect. You have to take calculated risks along the way. Yeah. And and to do that, in order to feel good, probably you need to be empowered through financial literacy. And, and yeah, 100% agree with you. Yeah. Agree. Yep. So to finish on a more positive note, let's say, because we've spoken about <laughs> all this financial stress. So do you have any inspiring stories of clients you've helped that you want to share? Oh, sure. Well, this is the most recent, just a month or so ago. And I, I have these conversations more often than people think. I wish I had them more, but met a new couple who came to us thinking that she was already, so traditional couple, the uh, the wife was already semi-retired or mostly retired. And um, the husband thought he had to work anywhere between two or three more years before he they were in a financial position to retire. But they came to us and again, having the question of, this is what we have, what does it actually mean for us? Based on our projections and everything that we learned about them and what their goals were and, and what their comfort level was with a lot of different things, they can retire right now, both of them, fully retire. And had they not reached out and just kept going around, you know, going along with daily life, he would have worked for two or three more years unnecessarily. And I think as we get older and even as, you know, I, I have plenty of life, life events that kind of put time and life in perspective, nothing's guaranteed, nothing's guaranteed. And so, you know, for him, we saved, or for them, I should say, we saved them two to three years together that they can be spending together, enjoying the next chapter of their lives versus him working for the sake of working when he didn't really have to. I think that goes a long way. I mean, they were very, they were very happy to hear that news and we were happy for them, but um, I'm, I'm happy that they at least sought out the help, whether it was us or anybody else, just to put it in perspective. I mean, right, like those are the stories we want to hear more of, right? And it, it's totally possible. Love them. They all give you, I don't know, hope. And um, yeah, I, li I like to finish like this. <laughs> Cool. So thank you so much, Ron, for this discussion. I really enjoyed it. Learned a lot as usual. Yeah, and I can feel your passion and, and way to, to share. Uh, it, it's been great. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So at the end of this episode, I hope you're as enthusiastic as I am. You can find the notes and the key takeaways on my website at maricafino.com. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and spread the word. Thank you.